0: Welcome to Living Hope Church. We're glad you are with us this morning. If your kids are going down to uh, Children's Church or nursery, they can dismiss out the back with uh, Miss Melody. Um, For those of you here, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 40 and chapter 41. Uh, If you've not been with us the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of a young man by the name of Joseph. And when we're talking about Joseph, we're not talking about Joseph, the father of Jesus, but Joseph, the great grandson of Abraham, back in the first book of the Bible uh, in Genesis. And the story of Joseph is an incredible story. It's got incredible lows, and it's got unimaginable highs. And amazingly, throughout this story, we see that the Lord is with Joseph. When we left Joseph last week in Genesis 39, he had just been thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit. And yet, in Genesis 39, 21, the author almost has the nerve to say, it says this, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. While in prison, it says the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. It's hard to understand, but although Joseph's world is broken in terms of what the world would say, it says that the Lord is with him. And we saw last week, that's a promise to all who believe in Jesus our Lord and Savior, that the Lord is with them no matter what is going on. And maybe more amazingly, that we see throughout this story that Joseph constantly responds as though this is true, as though the, as though the Lord is with him. And he is faithful to the Lord despite his circumstances. If you weren't here last week, we asked ourselves this question. It was kind of the, the center of our, our sermon. The question was, how do I respond to my circumstances, no matter what they are, high or low, if I am absolutely certain that God is with me and he is in control? Because we see that both of those things are promised to followers of Jesus in the Bible, that God is with us and he is in control. And if we can remember that when crisis hit, it can change the way we respond to our situation and the people around us. Galatians 5, through 23, we read it last week, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if we trust that God is in control, then through His power we can respond with the characteristics of God, even in the midst of hurt and even in the midst of trial. And it's safe to assume that Joseph responded in this manner, and because of that the world around him was changed it cons- consistently saw the difference in him. Potiphar, the warden, and today the pharaoh all see a difference in Joseph's life because God is with him and he lived accordingly. So if you weren't here, please go back and read the story of Joseph. It is an incredible story. Uh, And today, Joseph's circumstances, they're going to change a little bit. But today, as his circumstances change, remarkably, we're going to see him remain faithful to God in a different but still difficult uh, situation. And the challenge to us will be to pause and respond as if God is with us and in control, even when our life takes an upturn. So, if you have your Bibles, please follow on. We're going to be in Genesis 40 and 41. Uh, and while you look for those, I'm going to pray for us and, and for our time today. Dear Lord, we thank you for again for this time to gather and to study your word. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness we see in Joseph's life, Lord. And we thank you for the promise that you are with us uh, no matter what is going on. So, God, I pray that as we study your word today, Lord, you would just speak to us, Lord, and that you would call us to deeper faith. Whether we are experiencing struggles and trials right now, or whether we are experiencing good times and, and peace and prosperity, Lord, may we trust you no matter what is going on in our lives. So God, we pray that you would call us to faith, Lord, and we pray that we respond accordingly today. In your name we pray. Amen. So normally when we gather, it is my preference to read the entire, entire story straight from the Bible and then kind of work our way through it. But for the sake of the time and for the sake of you getting to lunch today, we're just going to hop and paraphrase our way through Genesis 40 and 41. But please go home and read these two chapters on your own. I'm going to do my best to tell the story to you, but I will probably miss a detail or two that may uh, shed light on it for you. So follow along and then go home and read it uh, when you get home. So as we left off last week, Joseph is in prison. The Lord is with him. And it says the warden takes notice that there is something different about Joseph. We said last week we would rather never meet a warden in a professional relationship or catch his eye, but that is where Joseph finds himself, and he trusts God even in that situation. And so the warden puts him in charge of everything in the jail. He steps back, and he essentially lets Joseph run the operation. Well, one day, these two men check into the prison. One is the Pharaoh's cupbearer, and a, and a cupbearer is the guy who would test the king's food for poison before he ate it. He's the guinea pig to make sure the king doesn't die. And the other one that checks in is the king's baker. And because Joseph is now running the prison, he meets the men when they check in, and he strikes up a conversation with them. In one morning, these two men wake up troubled because of some of dreams that they had the previous night. And that's where we come to uh, Genesis uh, chapter 40, verse 8. And in verse 8, he says, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. After all, if we remember back to the first sermon, Joseph has some experience with dreams. When he was a young child, he had dreams, and God gave him dreams of his family one day bowing down to him. Those dreams have to feel a long ways off um, now that he is in Egypt and hundreds of miles from his family, but that's a different story. So he has experience with dreams, and he says God may reveal their meaning to to him. So verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. So he tells him the dream, and Joseph says to him, I've got great news for you. The branches are three days, so in just three days, Pharaoh will lift you up from the dungeon and restore to you your position as chief cupbearer. And then we get some insight in how Joseph is really feeling about his situation, about being in the dungeon. Joseph says to him in verse 14, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now I think sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and we assume there is something supernatural about men like Joseph something that we couldn't possibly have, and that they can find contentment and happiness no matter what is going on. We detach their lives from reality. We view them as simply characters on a page. But we see here that Joseph wasn't happy to be carried away from his family. We see he wasn't happy to be thrown into the dungeon. And we see that he wants out. And one of the few men who could do something about that is a man with the power of Pharaoh. And he says to the cupbearer, Please remember me and tell Pharaoh my story. Please get me out of here, which, of course, the cupbearer says he will because, if, after all, if life goes like he interpreted, he'll do whatever he asked. But I want want to pause for just a second. Again, sometimes when we talk about trusting God when life is going crazy, we think that means we have to be happy in our circumstances. We have to celebrate our circumstances. We have to have joy in our circumstances, and that just doesn't seem possible. As we see with Joseph, he wasn't happy to be in prison. He wasn't happy to be in Egypt. He wanted to go home and be with his family. Yet even though he wasn't happy with his circumstances, he was able to trust God in the midst of it. Do you see the difference there? I'm sure he prayed for deliverance daily from his circumstances. Yet he still was able to trust that God was with him in the dungeon. He was still able to trust that God had a purpose for the dungeon. And he's still able to trust that God was fulfilling his purposes until one day God would release him from the dungeon. Right, this plea, this sentence here, helps uh, make the idea of trusting God and being content in Him a lot more possible for me. Because sometimes life is hard and it's not fair. And we don't have to be happy with each of those turns, but we are called to trust God in those circumstances and still treat others with kindness, grace, love, and so on. So it's still equally difficult, but more possible. And as you will see in a few minutes, Joseph isn't getting out of the prison anytime soon. So after seeing the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, this baker, he's feeling pretty confident about things. And so he steps up in verse 16, and he tells Joseph his dream. The baker says, I too had a dream, and on my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. So he tells the dream to Joseph, and you can almost envision Joseph kind of wincing here. And he says, well... Here's what's going to happen. He says, your baskets are bread too. They are also three days. But in three days, you are going to be taken from this dungeon, but you're not headed back to the king's court. You're headed to the streets where Pharaoh is going to execute you for all to see. You can read those details in verse 19. We'll skip them for here. Uh, But it says, on the third day, everything happened, as Joseph had said, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So once again, Joseph has been betrayed. The cupbearer likely meant to remember, but simply forgot about him in the craziness of life. The beginning of chapter 41 says it will be two years before the cupbearer will remember him. Two years. It will be two more years in the dungeon before he is remembered. But we see two years later, Pharaoh wakes up one night and he has a troubling dream. He shakes it off and he falls back to sleep, but he has another troubling dream that he cannot shake. And so Pharaoh goes to all of his court, to his astrologers, to his wise men, and he tells them this dream, and he says, what does this mean? And none of these wise men can interpret the dream, but it triggers a memory in the cupbearer's mind of a young Hebrew man back in the dungeon who had successfully interpreted his dream a couple of years ago. The cupbearer humbly approaches Pharaoh in verse 9, and this is paraphrased, but he says something along the lines of, you remember that time a couple of years ago when you were upset with the baker and I? Right, not the current baker, but the one you hung a few years ago. He says, No hard feelings, but when I was in prison, the baker and I had dreams on the same night about our future, and there was this young Hebrew man there. And this young Hebrew man interpreted our dreams, and they came to fruition just as he said. Perhaps he could interpret your dream for you, Pharaoh. And to which Pharaoh says, Well, go and get the Hebrew. And in that moment, Joseph's life is about to be forever changed. We see that in our lives as well. So often God calls us or life changes in an instant on an everyday normal day. And for Joseph, his day was finally here. He woke up just like every other day, ready to check on the prisoners, to run the dungeon and do his dungeon thing. And then he hears that dungeon door creak open. He gets word that the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, wants to speak to him. And he is ready in that moment. He has spent his last 13 years of his life in the pit, trusting God, preparing for his moment in the sun, and it has come on a regular, ordinary day. Once Joseph arrives, the Pharaoh, we're picking up in verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph pauses right there in verse 16, and he says this to Pharaoh, he says, I'm not able to interpret your dream." And we're thinking, Joseph, this is your chance to get out of the dungeon. Just interpret the man's dream. Take the credit. You deserve it after all. God has put you in a pit. He has put you in slavery. He's put you in a dungeon for 13 years. Just take the credit and move on. But Joseph says, no, I can't interpret your dream, Pharaoh. But it's God who will give you an answer to your dream. Now, normally you don't tell Pharaoh about your God. Pharaoh himself thinks he is a God. And yet Joseph is so confident that God is with him and in control in this moment that he trusts God even with this golden opportunity that has been presented to him. And so I want to pause right here and just introduce the main point of today's sermon, and that is how do we respond when prosperity or good times or times of self-reliance come our way? Last week we talked about how do we respond in bad times, but today how do we respond in the good times? How do we respond when we get the golden interview, the dream job, the the bigger paycheck? How do we respond when prosperity and when good things come our way? And while it's not easy to respond faithfully in the bad times, we see a lot more people in the Bible and in our lives turn to God when life gets desperate and we have nowhere else to turn. But in many ways, it is more difficult to rely and trust on God when things are going well, when it feels like we have everything in control in our lives. You just look at our world. Where is the gospel spreading like crazy? And where is consumerism and selfishness and worldly interest erasing the church? The gospel is spreading in developing nations across our world. It's spreading in the neglected areas of our world where people are looking for hope. And there is no greater hope than the gospel of Jesus. But on the flip side, you look at America and Europe, where we as nations and cultures, we feel like we've got everything figured out. We feel like we have everything in control. We feel like we have all the resources we could ever need. We feel like man can solve all of the world's problems. And In nearly all of these so-called developed nations, we are quickly turning from God because prosperity has led to the false belief that we can do it on our own and we are all we need. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 24, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The truth is, for many, if not most in our church, we have good jobs. We have plenty to eat. We have shelter over our heads. We have a savings account. And so how do we trust God when we have all of these things in our control and we aren't desperately calling out for him to rescue us? How do we handle and pass this test of prosperity? How do we handle and pass this test that that we feel like we have it all figured out, this test of self-reliance? And the simple answer is we ask ourselves the same question we asked ourselves last week. And that is, how do we respond in this situation that might be good if we are absolutely certain that God is with us and he is in control? And because Joseph is absolutely certain that God is with him and in control, he can look the most powerful man in the world in the eye and say, Sir, I can't interpret your dream, but my God can. And so Joseph doesn't puff up his chest. He doesn't tell Pharaoh how great he is, but instead he tells him how great his God is. Right, that is confidence and dependence in God, even in the midst of the greatest opportunity of his life. And so Joseph, through God, interprets his dream and tells him that there's going to be seven years of incredible abundance. And then there's going to be seven years of incredible and severe famine. He tells him that the reason the dream was shared twice because God has already decided this manner you got to love this. This Hebrew slave, Joseph, fresh from the dungeon, so confident in God, goes from dream interpreting straight into economic consultant for the most powerful nation in the world. Right, he's been do- running a dungeon for years now. How hard can it be to run a country? Verse 33, he says to this. He says, Pharaoh, he says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Right? This is what confidence in God allows us to do. It allows Joseph to trust that God is with him, and he is bigger than any man. Everyone around Joseph would have seen this meeting, would have seen this interview, and said that Pharaoh held Joseph's future in his hands. But Joseph knows that God is with him, and God is in control, and he trusts that God holds his future in his hands, and he lives accordingly. He professes his God's power, not his own, and he shares his insight. That's living confidently and boldly in God. Verse 37, we see Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. And so Pharaoh asked his officials, his wise men, his astrologers, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Isn't this incredible? Pharaoh looks at his counselors and wise men, these these men that have been to the best schools, they've had the best training, and they've been yes men for years, hoping for a promotion, and he says to them, this plan sounds great, doesn't it? Do we have anyone that is this wise and this smart in our ranks that could execute it? To which the yes men in them all says, no, we don't have anyone like this. We don't know anyone. This plan is great. And in an instant, Joseph is elevated from dungeon to prime minister in 45 minutes, in one conversation. Joseph lived his life as a slave, as a prisoner, and now in front of Pharaoh, confident that God was with him and that God controlled his destiny every step along the way, and people noticed, including Pharaoh, that he was different. Potiphar saw the difference and put him in charge. The warden saw the difference and put him in charge, and now Pharaoh has seen the same qualities and essentially put him in charge of the greatest nation in the known world incredible, maybe more incredible, Joseph lets none of this go to his head, because he lives completely dependent on God, no matter his situation. As we said, many will pass the test of nothing, but few will pass the test of prosperity or, or that of abundance and having enough. And so I want to take just the last few minutes here and give you three just very practical ways that we can pass the, the test of prosperity or this test the pass this test of of self-reliance or this, this test of having enough and remain dependent on God even when we have everything we need and in the case of Joseph, more than we ever dreamt. So three practical ways we can do this for the story of Joseph. Number one, we have to find a way to make our faith and our dependency on God public. We see Joseph in the midst of the biggest meeting, biggest interview of his life, speak of God over and over again. I don't think we can possibly understand how big this meeting was. And yet he trusts that God is in control of this encounter and he speaks of that dependence. So often when we get the big meeting or we are making the big deal, we separate ourselves from God. And we do whatever we think it will take to get the deal done. We do whatever we think it will take to advance us. You've likely been in that job interview or that meeting, and you said whatever you thought you needed to say to get the job, because that's just what you have to do sometimes. right? We sacrifice our morals or our beliefs or our values or our dependency on God to get the deal done. But Joseph believed that God was with him and in control, and when he was in this meeting that would determine his future and his life, he trusted God, and he gave God the credit for the ability God had blessed him with. So we have to find ways and opportunities to make our faith public, to declare to the world around us our dependence on God. As Christians, one of the greatest opportunities we have to do this is through baptism. Baptism is, this is exactly what it is. Baptism is a declaration to the world that we have trusted Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and we desire to follow him the rest of our days. We are aligning ourselves with Jesus and declaring this news to the world. Bible also tells us this is one of the first steps of obedience that we as followers of Jesus are called to. And it takes faith, it takes trust, it takes confidence to stand up before our friends and our neighbors and our community and declare to them that Jesus is our Lord. He is our Savior. We have two opportunities for this next Sunday at 7 in the evening at the river. And the next, uh, the next week after that, the 23rd, we are going to, after church, gather and have, uh, have a time of baptism. There's a group of people that are taking this step of obedience, this step of declaration of their faith. And so if you're interested in baptism or learning more about it, come and talk to me. Baptism, we don't believe, is what saves you, but baptism is a public declaration of the decision you have already made to follow Jesus. And it's a declaration of the forgiveness of sins you've already experienced. So if you have questions about that or are interested, come and talk to me. We would love for you to join us in baptism during either of those times or any other Sunday. And if you've already been baptized and you're a part of this church, consider yourself a part of this church, please do everything you can do to make it for those two baptism services. Right? There is no greater celebration in the faith and no greater encouragement to you than, than those being baptized and watching a life that has been changed. So the first thing, if we want to survive the test of prosperity, if we want to survive the test of self-reliance, we must publicly declare our faith. One great opportunity to do that is through baptism, but we also do that in our words and our actions if we just humbly declare our trust, our faith in God's wisdom, salvation, and sovereignty in our life. The second thing we see Joseph do and that we must do if we want to remain faithful and dependent on God is to place reminders, physical reminders of God's faithfulness in our life. Place reminders of where we have come from and how God has provided in the past uh, and how he's providing today. When life becomes easy and our day-to-day dependence on God disappears, it's easy to drift from him. Because of that, it's critical we put reminders in our lives of God's faithfulness and presence in our life. Joseph does this through the names of his children. If you look at verse 50 of chapter 41, it says, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potip- Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. And so every time Joseph held his son Manasseh, every time he called him to dinner, every time he threw the football around with his son, he was reminded of God's faithfulness in the darkest of times. He was reminded of how God was with him when he was 17 and taken from his family. He was reminded of how God was with him uh, when he was a slave. He's reminded of how God was with him when he was falsely accused. He's reminded of how God was with him in the dungeon. For 13 years, life was hard for Joseph, but God was still faithful was still with Joseph and brought it out of him it brought him out of it and for that he can be thankful and so he puts this reminder in his life of God's faithfulness so that every time he called his son's name he was reminded that God was with him and faithful when life was hard verse 52 <clears throat> The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So, although Joseph is in a foreign land and not where he wanted to be, not where he planned to be, God has made him fruitful and blessed his life. His son Ephraim is a constant reminder of God's faithfulness to him in the land of Egypt, and a constant reminder of God's faithfulness even in the midst of despair and a change of plans. Right? Sometimes God doesn't put us where we want to be or where we think we should be or where we envision our life going. Yet he is still with us and he is still faithful to us. And so Joseph put these reminders in his life of God's goodness and faithfulness and presence in his life. Again, I don't know what this looks like in your life, but put reminders that you will see every day of God's faithfulness. God did this throughout the Old Testament with his people. They were constantly making physical reminders of God's faithfulness because God knew how quickly we become self-reliant and forgetful. And this wasn't just an attribute of the Israelites, but something we are all susceptible to. If we want to pass the test of prosperity, of having enough, of of self-reliance, we must be reminded of God's faithfulness in our life. We must be reminded that He is the one that got us this place. For, here, for you, maybe it's a verse in your office. Maybe it's a picture of your old uh, piece of junk car or house or a, a picture of family and children. Whatever it is, place physical reminders in your life of God's faithfulness, both in the good times as well as the difficult. Now, this doesn't mean you have to redecorate your house or your office, but find ways to remind yourself of God's love, goodness, and faithfulness in your life. In our house, we have simple scriptures that remind us of God's goodness and faithfulness. Right, in my office, you come to my office, I have pictures of my children. I have a, a small sculpture a mentor gave me. I have artwork and pictures from different phases of life that all remind me of God's goodness in my life. Pictures that remind me of sacrifice and times of uncertainty, of wanting and longing, and God's provision throughout it all. And so this will look different for everyone, and it may only be significant to you, but find ways to remind yourself of God's goodness and faithfulness in your life. So you don't have to go rename your children. But if you want to pass the test of enough or prosperity, remain faithful and dependent to God. And then have reminders of where you came from and how God has been present through it all. The third and final thing we see Joseph do to survive this test of abundance that he has walked into is he leverages his power for the good of others. If we want to pass this test of prosperity or having enough, we must leverage all that we've been given. Our prosperity, our power, our position, our time for the good of others. Never in this story did we see Joseph leverage his power or resources for his good or his comfort. Right, he doesn't spend his first year in office building himself a mansion. He doesn't store up food for his family first. But he does what anyone with his job would do if they were confident that God was with them and in control of the situation. He does exactly what God calls him to do. He spends the seven years of plenty faithfully serving his country and its people. And he stores up enough resources to save the people of Egypt as as well as those around him. Always doing what he is supposed to do. I think it's probably the most important one. It is so critical for us as Christians if we want to survive the test of self-reliance and remain dependent on God to leverage what we've been given for the good of others and the glory of God's kingdom. It's critical for us to monthly, quarterly, or at least yearly look at our resources and our position, time, and and our influence, and consider how can I better leverage this for the benefit of others and the advancement of the kingdom. Again, I know you might feel like you are not prosperous or wealthy. But for most of us, we have lives that are fairly self-reliant. I mean, you just look at the world. If you have food on the table and a savings account, then we are abundantly blessed people in comparison with most of the world. And because of that, we are blessed, but we are also susceptible to self-reliance. And so how can we leverage what we have been given? How can we leverage the influence and power and time and resources that we have been given to impact others for the kingdom? Because the reality is God has not blessed us because of us. He didn't bless us for us. The Bible tells us He has blessed us to be a blessing to others and to share the hope of the gospel. And that's what Joseph recognizes. This isn't about him. This isn't about, uh, this is not about me. It's, it's not for him, him. So how can he use that for others? That's the same question we have to ask. God hasn't blessed me for me. He's blessed me to be a blessing to others. Some of you are the boss at your work. Some of you own companies. Some of you have the opportunity to mold and influence young minds. How can you use the responsibility God has given you to impact others for him? and for better. One of the greatest ways you can survive the test of prosperity or self-reliance is to leverage it for the good of others and give it away, right? This can be financial. This can be in the form of possessions. This can be in the form of, of the freedom of time God has given you. This can be in the form of title or influence. Whatever God has entrusted you with, use it for the glory of God and the good of others. I just think about our church. We started this church Seven, summers, seven seven summers, years ago in the summer, we were remodeling this building. And this church exists. The gospel is be, being shared in Green River in large part because of people who leverage their time, their energy, their influence, their resources, their wealth. And they invest it in this church and in this community. And you do this when you volunteer and serve at church. You do this when you give to your local church. You do this when you leverage your influence at work or in the community for the glory of God and the good of others especially those who are vulnerable and in need of help. So how can you leverage your prosperity? How can you leverage your influence to do good for others and spread the gospel? All right, this is the key to remaining dependent on God daily. And so For you, some of you, this may mean increasing your giving to church, to missions, or other organizations. For others, it may be sponsoring a child in need. For others, it may be volunteering your time or leveraging your company or classroom to help out others and giving the glory to God. But how can you leverage what you've been given for the good of others? So as we conclude, if we want to survive this test of prosperity, this test of self-reliance, which we all battle here in America, here are some things that we can do. One, we must find ways to publicly declare our dependence on God. In big meetings and in, in daily meetings, declare our dependence on God. Take steps of obedience, whether it be baptism or just praying and sharing your faith. We can put reminders in our lives of how God has been present throughout our life. How he was present in when life was hard. How he, le- how he got us to this place where we are today. And how he's been faithful and is with us today. And lastly, how can we leverage what we've been given for the good of others and the advancement of the kingdom. God has blessed us abundantly. How can we remain faithful and dependent on him in the midst of it all? So as we close, I'm just gonna pray for us. And as, we, as I pray, I pray that God will speak to you and that he will call you to deeper faith in him and to trust him no matter what you are facing today. Your Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you that's promised that you are present with us. God, we thank you for this promise that you are sovereign and in control. God, we thank you for this the abundant ways that you have blessed us as individuals, as you have blessed us as a church and as a community, Lord. And God, I pray that, Lord, we would use what you have given us uh, for the benefit of others to help those that are vulnerable and to point people to you. So, God, I pray in these just next few moments, Lord, you would... Help reveal to us those areas where we have slipped into self-reliance, where we are trusting ourselves and not you. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would specifically reveal areas of our lives where we are doing so, God, and that as we understand and see those areas, Lord, that we would ask ourselves this question, how do we trust you? How do we live in this situation if we are confident that you are with us and in control? And God, I pray that we would turn those areas over to you, trusting you. I pray that we would leverage what you've given us for your glory and your good. God, I help, us, you help, help us to just remember your presence and your faithfulness and your provision in the past. And God, help us just to know that you are there then and you are there now. And God, I pray for opportunities that we can declare our faith in you. That we can tell people about you and, and about how you have saved us and given us more than we deserve. That we can tell people about the hope of salvation we have in you. God, I pray that we'd be faithful throughout our lives to live dependent, trusting uh, our future and our lives today in you. So God, I pray, Lord, as we leave today, Lord, that you would just speak to us and that you would reveal to us those areas where we need to trust you, where we become self-reliant, Lord, and you would call us to deeper faith and to leverage everything for you in your glory. God, we thank you for the example of Joseph. And God, we pray that we may walk in his ways as we leave this week. God, we love you. We praise you in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, as we wrap up, I've got just a few announcements for you. Actually, i got a lot of announcements for you. Um, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the vicinity of you. If you would not mind filling that out and placing that in the wood box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. Also, you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, we've talked about a lot, but we have children's camp tomor- uh, leaving tomorrow. We'll be up all week in Casper Mountain for that. Um, If you are going to uh, children's camp, we're going to gather here at the church at 745, and then we are going to leave by 8. The one thing we need from you is a registration. Uh, We need people to come with the registration forms tomorrow morning. Uh, There's a bunch of those on the back table if you haven't gotten one. Uh, Youth camp on Casper Mountain will be in two weeks. Uh, If you have questions about that, uh, you can see Mr. Justin in the back uh, run the PowerPoint. Uh, We have VBS Children's Day camp coming up uh, July 31st to August 3rd um if you that's on, uh registrations on our website or on facebook uh if you can start registering your children that's super helpful for us you can also share that with uh friends and family uh, also if you're interested in uh volunteering and helping with that you can see uh, melody downstairs Um as i said we have two opportunities for baptism coming up plus any other sunday you would like to uh but next sunday uh july 16th at seven o'clock at night at expedition island Uh, We have a baptism service going on. We would love for you to join us for that uh, and to make time to be there. Uh, We'll have some popsicles and ice cream. We'll kind of make it a a party, but it will be uh, fun and be worth coming to. And so we'd love for you to join us for that. And then the next Sunday, July 23rd, after church, we will meet at Evers Park where the splash pad is, and we'll have like a barbecue. Church will provide um, hot dogs and hamburgers, bring a side or dessert to share. Uh, So we'll hang out and do that. And then we also have baptisms during that time um, as well. So if you're interested or have questions about either of those, come and see me. Um, I think that's all I have for you. So thank you so much for being here today. We hope and pray you have a great week, and we hope to see you next week. You are dismissed.